Open your Bibles with me to the 55th Psalm, the 55th Psalm. Thank you, Amanda. That was beautiful. I appreciate so much Amanda filling in on the piano, and then the didgeridoo is always fun to, to listen to. She does a great job. Thank you. It's weird to have church without Chad Hollinger and Justin Yo. They're both sick today. We can't hardly have church without those guys, right? And so we're praying for them. We're looking forward to next week. We like our big days to be to, to be the beginning of something, and so we're going to be beginning the following week. We're going to be beginning our study through the the book of Acts. It's going to be an exciting thing, and I'm also going to have the full history of the Bible exhibit set up all along the platform. And y'all haven't seen it completed, and wait until you see some of these things. It's going to be wonderful, and I'm not really going to be teaching through it. Maybe in the evening services we'll do some of that, but uh, it's going to be a really wonderful thing that you can come by and take a look at. But we're going to be launching this, um, our study through the book of Acts. It's just going to be verse by verse. What an exciting book when you see what God did in the early church, and so it's going to be a lot of fun to look at it. So Psalm 55, Psalm 55, there are a lot of people in our church right now that are going through trouble and maybe more than in a long time. And whether it's the cultural trouble that we're all dealing with, whether it's inflation or societal issues or personal health, emotional issues, struggles, there is a lot of trouble in people's lives right now. And I was talking, I had a message that I have preached before that I like to preach regularly, what to do when you don't know what to do. Um, but I wanted to do something different. I called my friend Dalton Robertson, who's very good at, at this kind of, of message. And I said, what's your favorite passage? What is your favorite message for when people are in trouble? And so he took me to Psalm 55. And I'm not. there's only one or two comments that he made that I'm going to use today, and they're actually very good. Um, but I had such an amazing time working through this text. And I think it's going to be a real blessing for us today. So why don't we go to the Lord and let's read through some of this passage. And let's just pray that God will use it to, to help people that are in trouble. Lord, we love you. And you are an ever-present help in time of need. So Father, I pray as we look through this text today that we'll realize that these, this is not the counsel of a man this is not just David crying out to you, but this is the words of the Holy God teaching us how to approach you. So, Father, help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's start in verse 1. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is sore pained within me, and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror hath overwhelmed me. And I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then would I fly away and be at rest. Lo, then would I wander far off and remain in the wilderness. Selah. What an amazing text. And of course, when you see the word sila, there's another sila later on. We know that, that that makes it a prophetic passage, and we're not going to be dealing with that aspect of the text. Today, we're going to be talking about the heart of David as he cried out to the Lord 
when, when he was in trouble. And what I want us to see that is revealed in this text is the path of prayer. And, I, I, and I'll tell you, we can study prayer, we can learn about it, we can go through the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, and learn how to approach God when we're in trouble. But when we're actually in the trouble, that's when we need it. That's when we need it. And so this, my message today, is the path of prayer, and we're going to see it in the text. The first thing that I want you to see is the complaint. The complaint. Look at verse 2. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise. I love hearing those kids. Isn't that wonderful? Just having children in here. It's great. Um, parents, you don't ever feel like you have to take kids out when they're making noise. How many of you have heard a child before? You ever heard that before? I mean, Jacob will probably make those noises in the sound booth this morning. So, but, so I love it. The first thing that I want you to see about this complaint is that it's very real. Now, sometimes we imagine things are worse than they are, right? The high school kid whose friend made fun of her dress or, or whatever, you know, life is now an end because, you know, they didn't like my haircut. I remember I got a haircut one time. And my haircut, my hair is very difficult to cut because it's like a shoe brush. Stands straight up, it's just a nightmare. So I went to this guy, and so what happened was I didn't go to a barber. I went to, to you know, one of these quick cuts or whatever, and it was terrible. It was, I was so mad. And this girl I was, no, no, this buddy of mine, Rich Smith, he looked at me, and we'd gone to the barbershop together. His was fine. Mine was just a train wreck. He looked at me, and he said, it's not that, and burst out laughing. This girl I was dating, Judy, we're in Bible college, went to church, went to see to church that night. The first thing she did, she looked at me, she didn't say a word, she burst out laughing. To me, it was the end of the world. But you know what they say about a bad haircut? It lasts about two weeks, right? So it really wasn't that big of a deal, but to me, it was really important. Do you know what life does? It teaches us how to gauge what's really a problem and what we only imagine is a problem. Not having formula for your baby, that's a problem. That's a problem. Some of these other things that we deal with, they're not real problems. We only imagine that they are. But what David is dealing with here, this is a genuine complaint. This is a real problem. As a matter of fact, according to the text, he was what in what we would describe as soul-crushing pain. And you understand that this can come from physical problems. It can come from the anxiety of life. It can come from relationships. It can come from financial issues where you've been dealing with this and things start piling up and it ends up revealing itself as soul-crushing pain. Look at how he describes it, verse 2. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint. And then look at what it says. And make a noise. Have you ever been in such agony that you just groan? That's that, that, that wonderful passage in Romans chapter 8 where the Bible says that the Spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings that can't be uttered. When we can't even express the pain, that it's just a soul-crushing pain. And we can only exhibit it through a groan, through a noise. That's, how, that's what David is describing here. 
And it's interesting the kind of character that David was. David was one of those guys that could write a song. He, he, could, he could share his heart. He could, he could wear his emotions on his sleeve. And then he could kill 20 people in a fight. He was a lover and a fighter. I wish I could be David. What would it take to be David, though? You'd have to experience the soul-crushing agony. And then he'd also have to have something I don't have, and that's toughness. <laughs> Can you imagine? I, I, I always picture um, Braveheart. You know, how that, that Mel Gibson character, how he goes into the battle. That's what I picture David looking like. And what, what I would do if this army's running at me like in that... I'd be like, you know, on Looney Tunes, mother. <laughs> I don't have what it would take to be David. But what David was able to do was be that unbelievable poet through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and express for us in Scripture the agony that we can at some times experience. And this complaint was real. Verse 2, I mourn in my complaint. I make a noise. Look at verse 4. My heart is sore pained within me. And I've heard people say that. My heart hurts. This, this, this is an inward struggle. It was soul-crushing pain. But not only was he in pain, I think that many of us have experienced a soul-crushing pain through, through the loss of a loved one or, or through a, a, a genuine relationship problem. Or even the, 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 a word from a doctor about something that's coming. So not only did he have the soul-crushing pain, but look at what he also had. He was paralyzed with fear. His heart was broken, and he was terrified. Verse 4, my heart is sore pained within me, and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror hath overwhelmed me. So his complaint, his trouble was very real. He was in soul-crushing pain, and he was paralyzed with fear. But not only that, notice the comprehensive nature, the way he describes this trouble. Very interesting. Sometimes we can have trouble, whether it's at work, you're having trouble with someone at work, there's a career issue, but you get home and you close the door and now you're in your haven and all is well. How many of you have experienced that? You get home, you sit down in your chair and you just, oh, you're at rest. David couldn't experience that here. Notice the comprehensive nature of his trouble. Look at verse four. My heart is sore pained, look at that word, within me. The trouble is in him. The trouble isn't, isn't at work. The trouble is in him. Then look at what it says. My heart is sore pained within me. The terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me. So he has his heart sore within him. This trembling is on him. And now look at what it says at the end of verse 5. And horror hath overwhelmed me. So it's within him. It's upon him. And now it's over his head. He's overwhelmed. He is overwhelmed. He can take nothing else. It, and this, this is not drama. 
you know, uh, if my kids say one more thing to me, you know, when they're little, if I have to tell you one more time, your parents ever said that kind of thing? That's not what this is talking about. This is the real thing. This is, uh, if one more thing happens to me, I might die. Uh, Jesus sweating great drops of blood. This is, he's at his end. The complaint is real. But I want you to notice something very interesting to me. There's a choice here that we all make, that we all come to. And I have experienced this, and I think you're going to find yourself in this text as well. Look at the choice. Verse 6, And I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then would I fly away and be at rest. Calgon, take me away. See, here's what we do when we get in trouble. We start dreaming about what if it just went away? I'd like to just fly away from here. Well, how many of you have ever dreamed your problems away? It doesn't work, but I promise you this, we all do it. You can't fix what's wrong in your life by imagining it, by dreaming it away through an imagination of some kind. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. That What are imaginations? Imaginations are things we believe that are not true. If you're in financial trouble, praying or dreaming that Bill Gates is going to inherit you is not an answer. And so we dream, we imagine things. I wish I had wings. I'd just fly away from here. Then, look at the next thing that we do. Verse 7. Well, I want to look at verse 6. If I could just fly away at the end of verse 6 and be at rest. If I could just get away from all of this stuff. Somehow, then I could find rest. Look at verse 7. Then would I wander far off and remain in the wilderness. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to chuck everything and live off the land. I'm going to go get a cabin on the side of a mountain. I'm not going to have a phone. I'm not going to have electricity. I'm not going to have anything. I'm going to quit my job. I'm sick of this. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. Isn't that a great gospel song? Don't we all do this? We either dream it away or we run away. Running away from your problems isn't going to fix it. Man, life is hard here. I'm going to get a job somewhere else. Do you know what the problem is with the job that you get somewhere else? You're there. And when the trouble is in you, you're going to take that trouble with you. This is what we all do. And this is how we complain. And that's what David began. He began with a complaint. So first, the complaint. Second, I want you to see the call. And I think that we can all do this. We begin with the complaint, and ultimately when we realize that my dreaming doesn't fix it, my running doesn't fix it, I need to call on the Lord. Look at verse 16. As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. The complaint feels almost like a command. Look at verses 1 and 2. He's talking to God. Hey, God, give ear unto my prayer. Hide not thyself from my supplication. Attend unto me. Hear me. Have you ever prayed that way? I find myself doing that all the time. I shorthand my prayers and I'm telling God what to do. Hey, God, bless my family. Hey, God, help Silas grow up to love you. 
Hey, God, help Jacob and Amanda's marriage to go well. It's a command. The complaint becomes a command. No, it needs to be a call. As for me, verse 16, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. I've dreamed, verse 6, oh, that I had wings. I just want rest. I've wandered. I'm going to get my cabin in the mountains, but neither dreaming nor wandering cared for the problems. Shouting at the wind accomplishes nothing in the long run. Sometimes, you know, just that primal scream, you get out and you just scream. That feels pretty good. But it helps nothing in the long run. The call for help. You see, the complaint has to become a call. Help. Help. You know, all of us with our, with our children, as they begin to get older, so they're, they're coming through their teen years, and you, you realize that you can't do everything for them. At some point, your kids have to learn how to tie their own shoes. Now, some of you guys still have Velcro. I understand this is hard. At some point, your kids have to learn how to tie their own shoes, right? And so you have them do that. You have them do that. And you want to give your young people responsibility because eventually they have to care for themselves. But we have seen our children go through things and all you're waiting for is for them to ask for help. You don't offer it because often that's rebuffed. You're waiting for them to ask for the help. You know that God does that for us. So often... A person, so as a pastor, I'll hear somebody complaining about something, and I have the answer. But if I offer the answer during their complaint, it's not heard. You have to wait for someone to ask for help. I had someone come to the house years ago, struggling with drink. I called Dr. Angwin, and I was going to um, I was going to fix this. You know, we, we can fix alcoholism. So I called Dr. Angwin. I got my notebook out. He's our, used to counsel. He's in heaven now. I got my notebook out. Okay, tell me what to do. I'm going to follow the steps. Step one, step two. Seriously, I promise you, I'm this dumb. And here's what he said. Do they want to stop? I don't know. I hadn't thought to ask. How many of you know you can't fix somebody that doesn't want to be fixed? You can't help somebody that doesn't want to be helped. They can complain and grumble and mumble and and live a miserable, bitter, resentful life. But until they're ready to receive help, you know they're ready to receive help when they ask for it. This is the path of prayer. We begin with a complaint, and then we go to the call. Why do we need to call on God? We cry out for help because he's the only one who can help us. I can't fix cancer. I can't fix physical problems. I can't fix emotional problems. I can't fix the I can't fix the globe. I can't fix President Biden's mind. I can't fix this stuff. We call God. We call on the Lord. We call on the Lord because again in verse 16 as for me I will call upon God and the Lord might save me. Is that what it says? What's it say? 
the Lord shall save me. Then, third, verse 17. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. So first is the complaint. Second is the call. Third, the call becomes a cry. The cry is when we get real. The complaint names the trouble. The the call addresses the complaint to the one who can help. The cry is when we get real with God. What are we really asking for? Do we just want deliverance from the trouble or do we want God? Do we want deliverance from the trouble or do we want the outcome that God wants us to have? That's maturity. That's maturity. One of the things that uh, Dalton Robertson gave me was a quote from Dave McCracken, our friend. By the way, Brother Brother Dave is coming to preach our fall revival for us in um, September. So that's going to be really fun. But he said this. I'm sorry, I don't have it here. The statement is something like this. God, this this is it. God wants for us what we would want for ourselves if we were wise enough to want it. God wants for us what we would want for ourselves if we were wise enough to want it. See, the cry is when we get real with God. And we, we, we make our complaint, we call on him for help, and then we ask him, God, what do you want for me in this? What do you want this to accomplish? What is your plan? What is your desire? What do you have for me in this? This is when it gets real. Do we just del- want deliverance from trouble or do we want God? Now, this is not a guilt trip. Look at, look at verse 1 again. Give ear to my prayer, O God. Hide not thyself from my supplication. What is supplication? What does that mean? Well, when Solomon was praying to God in 1 Kings 8, 28, let me read this to you. Ye have, or yet thou have respect unto the prayer of thy servant and to his supplication. So he's praying and he's supplicating. O Lord my God, hearken unto the cry and to the prayer which thy servant prayeth before thee. So the prayer matches the prayer and the cry matches the supplication. So what is supplication? It's when you cry out to God in humility. You cry out, when when someone supplicates, they bow. And this is humbling yourself to God, to the only one who can fix it. Now here's the deal. When I said, I'll hear people complain and I know what the answer is. Listen, you do not have to supplicate to me. You're never going to be asked to to bow before your pastor's feet or kiss a ring or anything like that. You don't supplicate before me. You supplicate before the Lord. Amen? I mean, it's ridiculous even to say it out loud. It does take some humility to ask for help. Right? This is a different kind of humility. This is, we have a plan. I have a plan for my life. 
I have something that I want to accomplish. I have a desire for my children. I have a desire for my wife. I have a desire for Grace Baptist Church. I have a desire for my nation and my community. I have these desires, and you all do for yours as well. Amen? The hard part is giving that to God. The hard part is saying, Lord, I had a plan. That plan is over. That direction that I had, it's done. Tell me what to do. That's the cry. That's the supplication. This is when it really gets real. So, first is the complaint. The complaint is genuine. The call is when we direct our complaint to the one who can help. The cry is when we get real. But then look at what it says in verse 22. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. This is the hard part. And this is why this is the path of prayer. Casting. Casting. The move from command to call, from cry to casting. Of course, we know 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. Casting is the hardest part of these for me. How many of you know that I'm a little bit of a control freak? But casting is very difficult. It's very difficult. Casting is giving. Ready? Listen. Casting is the giving of the result up to God. You see, it moves from me asking God for something specific. God, I want you to do this. This is the goal I'm looking for. This is what I'm praying for. I'm crying for this. God, this is what I want. How many of you see that's different than God? This is what I want. But I'm casting that on you. You do what you want. Did Jesus pray something like that? What did he say? Not my will, but thine be done. That Wayne Watson song that was real meaningful to us when our son died. And it's a song called Home Free. And that's what he said. The hardest thing to pray is not my will, but thine. That's the casting. That's the casting. The casting is giving the result up to God. The casting, and, and you'll see it right from the text. It's trusting God. Look at verse 22. Not only giving him the right to prove or to give the result, not only that, but trusting him with it. Can I just stop before we look at the verse? Look up here. How many of you believe, seriously, how many of you believe that God is good? Then, then why is it so hard for me to say, God, I'll give you. You, you do what you want with this. You, now, he does give us the desires of our heart. It's not wrong to ask him for something that you want. That's, do it. Please do it. The Bible tells us to do that. But when you're in these situations when you don't really know what is best, when you think you do, you have something that you want, but you don't know what will bring God the most glory and do the most good. Trust is what it takes. Trusting that goodness. Trusting his love. That's the hard part. Let's look at verse 22 again. Cast thy burden upon the Lord. 
But we all do this. I can't carry this anymore. I can't do it. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall deliver thee. Is that what it says? Does it say deliver? What's it say? That's not what I was looking for. I wanted an answer. I wanted it fixed. God, I, I, I want it taken away. I want that thorn in the flesh. I prayed three times. I want this removed. He may. He may not. Why is it that when some people get saved, their addictions go away? God takes their addictions away. Other people get saved and the addiction doesn't go away. Why? Why? Because both of them are going to give him glory. For the one, God knows that you can't endure it. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. For some people, God knows that if, if he doesn't take the addiction away, they won't make it. For other people, God knows they need that burden to trust him. That's not fair. Is God good? Casting is trusting God, trusting Him with the outcome, trusting Him to sustain me, even if He chooses not to take away the problem. And let me just tell you something. So now having pastored here for 25 years, just turned 59 years old. That sounds so old. Who whistled over here? Ed, you're right behind me, Junior. The hardest thing for me to say to you is this statement right here. Trust God to sustain you even if he chooses not to take away the problem. Why? Because I love you. I want the problem to go away. But here's what I can say with boldness. I don't love you more than God does. I don't know what you need the way that God does. But I can promise you this. He will sustain you. And then look at what the text says, verse 22. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. Look, he shall never suffer or allow the righteous to be moved. Here's what I know. I can trust him to keep me. He will never, he will never, he will never forsake me. He will never leave me. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He will sustain me. He will. Listen, or he'll take me home. That's in that song that Wayne Watson did, The Ultimate Deliverance. Because, so let's say that I were sick and I asked God to take the sickness away, and he does. I'm still going to die. I don't want it to be today. And that's not a joke. But if God chose me to take me home today, it would be for his glory and I would be with him forever. Do I trust him to sustain me? 
even if the problem doesn't go away. See, this is the path of prayer. It begins with a complaint. Maturity takes it to the call. I go to the one who has the power to change it, the one who has the power to fix it. It becomes a cry where I I get to the root of the problem. Often the root of the problem is me, not everybody else. One of the things in the text that you can see is the wicked have poured this upon me. The wicked have done this to me. And, And when it's dealing with Israel in the tribulation period, that's exactly what's happening. That's exactly what's being spoken of. But for me in my life, most of the bad things that have ever happened to me are because of me. Would you all agree with that? About me? Of course. That's the cry. The casting is a completely different level. The call is when I recognize that I need help. The cry is when I get real about the problem. The casting is when I say, not my will, but thine be done. That's the process of prayer. That's the path of prayer. One of the most amazing things about this whole process is the, how many of you know that there are times when God's the only answer? Right? God's the only answer. Here's the sad part. There are many people who, who get into the situation where they call out to God, listen, and here's what God would say. I don't know you. Someone walks up to you on the street, can you do this for me? I don't know you. It's something big, you know. I, 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 don't, I don't, who are you? Why are you asking me to do this? You know that you don't even have access to God unless you come through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way you can have access to God through the Lord Jesus Christ is if you're born again. Because when you are born again, then Jesus becomes that high priest, that high priest. Jesus becomes that advocate for you. He's the one that comes alongside you. He's that mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Before you can go to God with your complaint, you must go to him for forgiveness. Before you can go to him as as your, your healer, you have to go to him as your savior. Because my ultimate problem is not my sickness. My ultimate problem is not my emotion. My ultimate problem is not my finances. My ultimate problem is sin. And if, if I've not had that sin forgiven, if I've not had that sin washed away by the blood of Jesus, then I'm only looking for a temporary solution. And my ultimate, my ultimate destination will be a Christless eternity in hell. You see, the ultimate deliverance is only for the believer. As a believer, if I get sick and die, or if I'm in an accident and die, or if I just get old and die, the ultimate deliverance for all of that is I get to go be with the Lord There is no deliverance for the lost person after death. So here's what I would say to you. If you're in trouble, your first step must be to call in the name of the Lord for salvation. That must be your first step. If you are saved, your first step is probably going to be complaining. Then you need to call. Then you need to cry. And then you really won't have deliverance until you cast Let's all stand together. Lord, we love you. And of course, it's very easy to stand up here and say these things. It's much more difficult to walk it. And Father, there are people right now in this room who you are sustaining 
even though they may not even know it. There are others in the room who you are sustaining and they know it and they're thankful for it, even though they want the trouble to go away. Father, wherever people are, Lord, I pray that you'll save the lost. We give it all to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.